At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Ghost Guesses with myself, Greg Spears. And now, part of the Beeson Family and Podcast, we've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by Eli Becker. He does amazing work over there at eCheckCBB. We're going to be chatting about who should be number one in all of college basketball after Houston went down in a fiery heap against Temple. So, that was very intriguing. We're going to be taking a look at the outlook on a lot of these Mountain West teams as well. And we're going to be turning it forward, taking a look at a few games for Monday, including New Mexico and Nevada, along with Duke versus Virginia Tech. So, going to have some fun in segment number two. And then in the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. If you have a question, comment, segment, idea, what I have you for this podcast, you have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore D1. Keep up on letter CM. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way, that's fine an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Digging in one question today to take a look at teams coming off of a big, giant win, and it's in relation to Temple. So how about if we start up the recap while I answer that question, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. No doubt I have to start here. Houston loses to Temple by a count of 56 of 55. It was a game in which Temple only scored one point in the final 6.30 or so. You had a pair of blocks by Nick Jordan along Kerr Junku to be able to assure the win for Temple. And Namian Dunn and Kaylee Battle not even have tremendous games. They combined for 23 points, 7 rebounds. Temple shot 8 to 24 from 3, but for Temple, despite the fact that they shot 31% from the floor, Houston was pretty cold themselves. They shot 34% from the field. Temple, they lose the turnover battle by a count of 13 to 7, but they were able to do a relatively solid job on the glass, losing that battle 39 to 33. S.J.S. Walker, 9 points, 12 rebounds, and the question that I was posed is, with a team like Temple coming off of a big win, how do you gauge them moving forward? Do you think that they then crater in the next game? And it's situation by situation. We're going to be talking about Temple a little bit more in the next segment with Eli Becker, but 
I feel like this team was underachieving a little bit coming into this game. They've already had a couple nice wins. To their credit, they were able to knock off Rutgers. They were able to take down VCU by double figures. We thought Villanova was going to be solid at the time that they knocked them off as well. So this is a quality Temple team, in my opinion. They just needed a little bit of spark, and I do think that this could be that second-half spark for them, especially with having Julia White chipping in their 10 rebounds as well. He did a very good job with his versatility, and for Houston, just a bad day for them where they couldn't get a lot of shots to fall, and they went 11-21 of 21 at the free throw line. That is something that you do want to be highlighting with this Houston team because they're in a late-game situation. They entered in this game shooting about 71% at the free throw line. That'll be down to more like 70 and 71% when it's all said and done with this one. So certainly something that I am taking note of. Also taking note of Colorado, the fact that they get the win, but they don't get the cover against Washington State, 58-55 to the final. Washington State might be one of the best 9-12 and teams that we've ever seen. They get out to an early lead, but they cannot hold on to a, against a Colorado team that all of a sudden has been playing quite a few unders. Washington State won the slowest teams in all of college basketball. They get just 4 of 16 from 3 par range with Wamba Gay getting shut out. He got 0 points in this game of 4 fouls. That was not too terrific for Colorado. They do a solid job winning the battle on the glass. 30-27 to 27 as a result as Tristan De Silva. He and K.J. Simpson pretty much had all the offense for this team. And I'm not even kidding when I say that. They had a combined 43 of their 58 points. De Silva, 27 points. He won 11 of 13 from the floor. Simpson, 16 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. So the two-man man for Colorado is able to get it done. Mount St. Mary's still has not exceeded 66 points in their last seven games, but they get the job done against Maris by a count of 59-55. to 55. Really ugly game. Mount St. Mary's closes as a three-point favorite, so they were able to get there on this one. Jalen Benjamin was out for quite a while. He's back in the fold. He had 15 points in this one, and you got nine points a lot of rebounds out of DeAndre Thomas, so that was very intriguing against a Maris team that has been really, really bad at guarding the three-point arc. And that's why Mount St. Mary's won this game. 9 of 13 from 3 power range. Always take a look at these teams' strengths and weaknesses because they do lend a very interesting picture. Furman, one of their strengths is offense. 96 to 82, they take down Wofford. Don't worry, I'll get into more of the ranked teams after this one. But for Wofford, they were just giving up points upon points in this one. As for Furman, they go 11 of 31 from 3 power range. Just a combined 14 turnovers between these two teams in this one. And you had 11 points, 11 rebounds off the bench from Ben Vandewal. I think that that's very intriguing. You were able to have also 20 points out of Mike Bothwell for Wofford. The uh, 25 points of Jackson Pavelski just done in vain. My DK Nation from Sunday. That unfortunately went down in a fiery heap. UConn for the first time in quite a while. They looked very good against Butler. 86 of 56 of final as UConn prior to this. They had had a non-cover in, I believe, eight out of their last nine games. It might have been seven out of their last eight, but it had been a rough stretch for them. And for Butler, I mean, man, this is the get-right team out there in college basketball right now. After St. John's had a losing streak, they got pounded by them. Seton Hall was riding a losing streak. They get pounded by them. And now that happens against UConn as well as UConn. They were able to go and shoot about 38% from the floor, but where they won this game was down low. Butler actually shoots 16 of 16 at the free throw line, but Butler lost a rebound battle. 48 to 22. Adama Sanogo made things a go-go. 17 points, 14 rebounds. You get 20 points out of Jordan Hawkins in this game, and for Butler, 
I mean, Chuck Harris showed up. He had 16 points, five steals, and that's about the only guy that showed up for this team. Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis show up, and they take down Michigan State by a count of 82 to 69. On top of that, they were able to get back out there in the fold. Ray Thompson, though, he is limited to four minutes. He was a complete and under non-factor. He had four minutes, three fouls, and zero points. So he didn't do a lot there. But Trace Jackson Davis, 31 points, 15 rebounds, five blocks. Absolutely remarkable. And for Michigan State, he go just 4 of 14 from three-point range. Hey, only turned the ball over 10 times for contest in this contest. And they lose the rebound battle by just two, 32 to 30. But for Michigan State, just not able to keep up with this Indiana offense that went 9 of 15 from three-point range with Tavar Bates coming in off the bench. 5 of 6 from three-point range. Michigan State has had a little bit of a tough time guarding New York. They did so here. Purdue, they survive a scare against Maryland. 58 to 55 the final line. This looked like a game that Purdue was going to run and hide with. They get up 25 to 9 very early on for Purdue. They were held to just two points in the final four-plus minutes in this game. So Maryland was able to really tighten up the screws on defense. Zach Eady, another massive performance. 24 points, 16 rebounds. Purdue, they're not a great three-point shooting team, though. They went 2 of 13 from 3. They were bailed out by the fact that they went 16 of 18 at the free throw line with Braden Smith going 8 of 8 at the charity stripe. And for Maryland, give credit where credit is due. Julian Reese completely lost the battle on the glass. Purdue won the rebound battle 40 to 30, but 19 points, that was massive for this Maryland team. So Maryland's able to get the cover, even though they weren't able to get the outright win. Your best team to the under and off college basketball, they continue to produce. Maryland, now two overs to 17 under, says the Merry Men go on the road. They take down St. Francis of Brooklyn, 63 to 55. This was a closing total of 122, so it was able to say under as the old Merry Men and St. Francis, they did have a little bit of late game felling, but after 63 points in the first half, Things really slowed down in the second half. You just don't get a lot of opportunities to score in Merrimack games. Both of these teams attempted 45 field goals. You had 23 St. Francis turnovers. You had 15 Merrimack turnovers. And it was Jordan Minor who turned out to be major in this game for Merrimack. Three blocks, 14 points. So that was a very, very interesting game to say the least. Michigan, they get the win, but they don't get a cover. 60-56 to a final. They were able to take down Minnesota. Now, I will say this about Michigan. They've actually been able to do a relatively solid job on defense recently as they have now allowed fewer than 70 points in seven out of their last nine games. And Minnesota, all of a sudden, has been able to cover some numbers as well as it's a Minnesota team that they've been able to cover, I believe, now four out of their last six games as for Minnesota, just 6-23 from three-point range, but they were able to get really good production out of Taylon Cooper, 15 points, 10 rebounds. Dawson Garcia, James Battle combined for 27 points. And Hunter Dickinson, he was the reason why Michigan got the W, 23 points, 9 rebounds backcourt. Was a little bit intermiss in this one, though I will say for Doug McDaniel, 10 points, 8 rebounds, just 10 turnovers for Michigan, 13 of Minnesota. That turned out to be the difference in this one. Memphis, they go on the road, and Memphis has been one of your better over teams in college basketball this season. They played this game to the under, but they get the job done against our good friend Cincinnati, 75-68 to the final for Memphis. They go just 5-14 from three-point range, but DeAndre Williams, 26 points, 
8 rebounds. He was massive in this game. And Victor Lakeen, 22 points, 10 rebounds, 11 of 14 from the floor. He did a solid job there. Cincinnati, they had David DeJulius go 10 of 11 at the free throw line for 15 points. But for Cincinnati, just because they weren't able to get a hand up in the face of Memphis and they sent him to the free throw line. Memphis won 20 of 24 at the free throw line with Kendrick Davis, 21 points, 6 assists. That turned out to be the difference in this one. It appears as though it is UMass Lowell's conference out in the American East. Now, I will say, Vermont, they got the job done against NJIT, 85-69. It's not been a savory year for Vermont, but they win this game by 16, despite the fact that NJIT went 8-14 from three-point range. As they had Finn Sullivan just explode for 28 points, goes 6-11 of 11 from three-point range. We'll see if that propels them moving forward. But for UMass Lowell, 98-79, they dump truck Bryant. For UMass Lowell, they only go 9 of 29 from 3, and Bryant goes 7 of 18 from distance. But for UMass Lowell, they did a really good job getting second chances. They won the offensive rebound battle 20 to 5. 47 to 26 was the overall rebound battle. Abdul Kareem Kulabali, 18 points, 15 rebounds down low. For this UMass Lowell team, he came up just absolutely bonkers. And for Bryant, they had Charles Pride chip in their 27 points, but UMass Lowell. Just a really good collective in this game. They were able to get the job done there. You also did see Quinnipiac in a high-scoring game, something you don't see very often in the Metro Atlantic. They get it done against Canisius by a count of 87-82 as at Ike Nikway. Chip in there, 24 points. You also did see Stonehill, who they themselves, I believe, have now played 14 out of their last 17 games of the under. They go on the road. They get the job done against Fairleigh Dickinson by a count of 70-59. to 59. For Fairleigh Dickinson, they go just 3 of 27 from 3 point range. They shoot 32% from the floor. And for Stonehill, 10 of 23 from distance. They get 23 points off the bench from Shamar Johnson. So that was a tremendous performance as Stonehill overall for the season. They've been able to play six overs, 15 unders, and going back to St. Francis, a part of that Merrimack game, five overs of 13 unders. So the NEC has been an even of unders. I mentioned Maryland a little bit earlier. They played an under against Purdue. They've now got five overs of 14 unders. That is one of your best under rates in all of college basketball. Wagner has also been a good team to the under all season long, and they played another one against Sacred Heart, 68-58. You saw Wagner get the job done. They get the win and cover after Wagner had went and covered just two of their previous 12 games. They've now covered three straight, and for Wagner, Rob Taylor the second was able to chip in their 19 points. Sacred Heart had Nico Galetti have a solid performance in this one. He was able to chip in their 16 points, but for Sacred Heart, they lost the rebound battle 35-21 to in this game as you had the swag transfer, Brandon Brown, chip in their 11 rebounds for Wagner, getting back to Minnesota as well. They're another good under team. Five overs, 13 unders. Purdue, six overs, 14 unders. Apparently Sunday, you just had all the under teams doing battle because you also had St. Peter's in action on Sunday. They produce an under. Four overs and 15 unders for them thus far this season. Niagara gets the job done. They get the win, and in a relative pick'em game, they're able to get the cover, 59-57, to the final in game in which you had St. Peter's go 5 of 9 from three-point range, but they turned the ball over 18 times. St. Peter's wins the rebound battle by con 32-24, to but they could only get up 43 shots, and for Niagara, they were bailed out by Noah Thomason. 20 points from him. He does just a lot for a team that plays at one of the more grody styles in all of college basketball. So his efficiency, very, very big in this one. And then 
You did see Oregon State go on the road and just completely dump truck Cal. 68-48. to Cal loses on their home floor by 20 as Oregon State. A 13-24 of sizzler from three-point range. Dexter Ocano, Jordan Pope, they combined for 35 points. Devin Askew returned for Cal. And Devin Askew, when he's been out there on the floor for Cal, Cal has not played well whatsoever. He went 2 of 12 from the floor. He had 8 points. He seemed to actually be a deficit for this Cal team. So, it's not necessarily too terrific. And they were without DeWan Clayton as well. That was a big detriment to them. Whenever Clayton has been out there, it's meant good things for Cal. Whenever he has not been, has been bad things. And then Wichita State, they hold on, and they're able to get the job done against SMU for the win. And the cover by a count of 71-69, to Wichita State was up 65-52 to with about four minutes remaining. You saw a big, giant comeback made by SMU, but you did see Wichita State be able to just barely hang on against SMU. This by a count of 71-69, to Wichita State was up 65-52 to with about four minutes remaining in this one. SMU, they were able to make a nice spirited effort as they had Zach Natal be able to chip in their 17 points as Zarek Phelps. He had 13 as well for SMU. Actually, play even up on the glass, 35-35, to but 16 turnovers on both sides. And SMU going 16-24 from the free throw line compared to Wichita State getting there and going 24-32. of That turned out to be the difference as you had a double-double for Wichita State out of James Rojas. 12 points, 10 rebounds. Very beneficial for them moving forward. And a Wichita State team that began the year being very much an under team. They have now seen quite a few of their games go over the total as for Wichita State. I believe that they have now played four straight games of the over. So that is something intriguing to take a look at at SMU. Now 7-11-1 against the spread. And if you're taking a look at the landscape of college basketball, what we've been noticing the last, I'm going to call it week or so, is that home underdogs have had a little bit of a rough go of it. Now if you look at college basketball from Sunday, I was mentioning all the under teams playing. Well, you got a lot of unders, 20 unders to 12 overs in college basketball on Sunday. So certainly it was an under day. And you take a look at the last seven days in college basketball, the unders are starting to take hold, 184 unders to 175 overs. But to my point on home underdogks, 47-66-7 against the spread the last seven days. Really, it's been the last two and a half weeks. Home underdogs have come up completely dry in road teams covering 55.6% of games over the last seven days. Overall for the season, home teams still covering 50.5% of games. And home underdogs still 487, 433, and 18 against the spread, covering at a 52.9% clip overall for the season. And overall for the season, we've seen 1,683 overs. We have seen 1,656 unders, so a 50.4% clip to the over. That's what we're seeing right now in college basketball, and that's what we all got on Sunday. Now let's take a look at a few games for Monday, and let's take a look at who should be number one in all of college basketball with our good friend Eli Becker of EchexCBB also going to be getting a little bit of a West Coast landscape update from him next. Right here on Chris Cassidy with myself, David Stevens, and now a part of the Instant Family Podcast. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Tired of restless nights? 
Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. And we're back here Love Las Vegas for Cusco Seats with myself, Greg Oops Peters, and now a part of the VEASAN family podcast. And it's always great to be joined by this man. He is a founder over there at HXCBB, doing a great job operating one of the best networks out there to be able to get great college basketball coverage, and that would be Eli Becker. He, much like myself, out here on the West Coast, taking a look at everything that we are getting in this great game of basketball. And to follow him on Twitter, that is at his last name, Becker, that is spelled B-O-E-T-T-G-E-R, underscore, and then his first name, Eli, E-L-I, and Eli, it's always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Greg. Weather's, at least here, starting to pick up a little bit, starting to feel a little bit more spring-like, a little bit more March-like. Oh, absolutely, and the games are getting more intense. The upsets, they just keep coming, and we saw a big one on Sunday. Temple 
They go on the road. They get the job done against Houston. Not sure about you, but I did not certainly see that coming. But where does that leave us in terms of who should be number one in college basketball? Because prior to what we had seen on Sunday, Houston was my number one team. Now it's a little bit more befuddling. I think I would probably give my small edge Alabama, though Purdue is sitting right there as well. Probably would have been Kansas, but they lose back-to-back games as well. I'm not sure where you stand, but at this point, I think that it's starting to look like Alabama a little bit more for me. Yeah, I think that's probably the safe bet at this point. I'd imagine that Alabama is uh, number one in the AP poll come Monday, and it makes sense given what Alabama has done, particularly of late. They've just thoroughly dominated in SEC play, and I'm just checking out their schedule right now. If I'm not mistaken, each of their last eight victories have all come by double digits, and uh, you take a look at some of these performances that they've put together. Beat Kentucky by 26, beat Arkansas on the road by 15, beat LSU by 40. They put up 106 points and they've taken care of a couple quality opponents on the road in Vanderbilt and Missouri with relative ease. I just think at at this point in time, given Alabama has the road win at Houston, one of Houston's now two defeats on the year, I think it just makes sense given resume, given recent play. Alabama has really picked things up of late and I'm curious kind of where they go from here because they have several, I would say, mid-tier type games. I don't think anyone is going to make a big fuss about upcoming games against Mississippi State or Oklahoma or Vanderbilt, LSU again. But it still is kind of that trap range, the games that you don't necessarily want to lose. Uh, and if you don't, if you aren't on your A game, it could certainly slip up. But it's going to be a while before they play another one of these top teams in the country um, I would say until mid-February when they have a stretch against Auburn and Tennessee. So we could be looking up reasonably here in a little bit less than a month to an Alabama team that could be sitting right around 23-2, and two, uh, 22-2, something like that, which would be really impressive. But as we just saw with Houston, this season has shown us that things haven't really gone to plan. I certainly didn't have a Houston home loss to Temple marked on my calendar. I think that given what the season has looked like, no matter how much of a heavy favorite these teams are, I just don't think that you can expect any team to really roll through conference play with that much ease. We, we've seen it with Purdue and Houston and now Alabama has kind of entered the same realm, but it just is so hard in this day and age to, you know, lose fewer than two or three games in league play. And Temple's been kind of one of those strange teams as well. They had the win early on in the season against Villanova when we thought Villanova was going to be much better than they were. They also beat Rutgers on a neutral floor wins over VCU, Cincinnati, and now Houston. But on the opposite side of the coin, losses to Wagner, Maryland Eastern Shore, Richmond, Vanderbilt. It's just it's a it's a Jekyll and Hyde team where you can kind of expect them to maybe get a good game in against Houston and then turn around and lose to one of the weaker American teams. So it's just the nature of college basketball when it's all said and done. It's just been an unusual year. I think it's kind of the kind of entered the flavor of the week type portion of the season where Whichever top five, top 10 team is on the longest winning streak is typically the one that we're going to see at number one. And that team right now is Alabama. It has been so interesting to take a look at that as joining me on the podcast, we do have Eli Becker who does amazing work over there at Echex CBB and a team that if they would have been able to win on Saturday, I felt like might have actually had a little bit of a case for number one. They probably wouldn't get it over Alabama, but that'd be UCLA. They fall to Arizona. And I do feel like for the Pac-12, in a day and age of which there's a lot of uncertainty with a lot of these conferences. We've just been talking about it. 
the one certainty that we do have out west where we are, the two top teams in the Pac-12, no doubt, is Arizona UCLA. Give a little cry where credit is due. Utah has gotten out to a relatively solid start to the season, and Arizona State is relatively good as well as they've been able to amass a 15-5 and record. But that said, it just feels like, once again, you've got a landscape out west in which there are a few top teams, UCLA and Arizona, when it comes to the Pac-12. Mount West seems to be a little bit more intriguing. We'll dive into that in a few minutes because I do think that the likes of San Diego State, Nevada, and New Mexico, who are going to be doing battle on Monday, that's really something to take a look at. But out West, you do have some relatively solid teams. And when you think of the top teams out West, I don't know where you've got Gonzaga, but I certainly have them outside of those top two Pac-12 teams. And in terms of Mount West, I would probably have them above all of them, but it's really a horse of peace situation because Gonzaga, they fall to Loyola Marymount and they all of a sudden aren't looking like one of the traditional powers of the West Coast. It is an unusual time out West right now because we have gotten so accustomed to Gonzaga just being thoroughly dominant in the WCC and throughout the course of uh, just seasons overall and with four losses, their next one will already be the most that they've had since 2015, which is it's just crazy to think about. They've lost either four games or fewer in each of their past four seasons, five of their last six. So it's uh, just a weird circumstance for them. But I think the last couple of weeks, Gonzaga has struggled against some teams that they have traditionally taken care of business fairly handily save for the 40 point blowout win against portland it's been 2.1 against san francisco 5.1 against santa clara 1.1 against byu and then it was a nine point win on saturday against pacific but i don't even think that score really does justice on how close this game was gonzaga pulled away late but this was a close one the first 30 minutes or so and that has to be a little bit of a cause for concern in each of those four matchups that i mentioned and of course, the Thursday night home loss against Loyola Marymount, those four games were all on the road. If you want to make a fuss about anything of Gonzaga the last decade or so, is kind of what does this team look like when they get into a neutral environment? We, we know how dominant they've been at home in Spokane. They're impossible to beat. They just had a 76-game home winning streak snapped. But on the road, they haven't looked like the same type of team. They had, the, of course, the win against Alabama Earlier in the season, they beat Michigan State in a close contest in San Diego on the aircraft carrier. But but besides that, it haven't really been that impressive just away from Spokane. So that could be something to monitor. I, I would imagine that from here on out, they'd be largely okay. Would not be shocked at all if St. Mary's beats them when they play in Moraga on February 4th. If we're going to have a conversation about some of the best teams out West, St. Mary's has to be in that conversation. They've been dominant this year. They're up now to seventh in Ken Palm. The metrics just absolutely love them. They defend really well. They get on the defensive boards. And I think this year they have enough scoring pop to make a difference because we're accustomed to seeing St. Mary's just win a lot of these games in the high 50s, low 60s. And they still play at one of the slowest tempos in college basketball, but they're just shooting at a much higher clip. I think a lot of that comes down to what freshman Aiden Mahaney has brought to this program. He's shooting... Uh, now over 42% from three. Alex Dukas, same type of thing as an inside-out threat. And I just love Logan Johnson. He's not the same type of offensive threat as the last two guys, but you'd be hard-pressed to find much better backcourt defenders as Logan Johnson. He's really nifty. He's quick. Uh, he just guards the ball really well. I love how the St. Mary's team is set up. If we're going to talk about Pac-12, Mountain West, WCC, I might lean with St. Mary's as the best team of this bunch, but 
Pac-12, because uh, you touched on it a little bit, what's interesting right now with, say, UCLA's situation, because they've, they've gained some steam here in the last, I'd say, couple weeks, given this very long winning streak, is although the metrics like them quite a bit, the opportunities here for those types of quad 1A wins or just the really meaty signature wins that the committee so desires, those chances are few and far between because the depth of the Pac-12, I think, is in question quite a bit. As of right now, uh, UCLA doesn't have a top 30 Ken Palm win. Their best wins, at least according to Ken Palm, are neutral site victory over Kentucky, which has had its struggles and a way win against Maryland. And, and Maryland, of course, has had their struggles as well. So between UCLA and Arizona, those are the only two teams right now that are in the top 40 of Ken Palm. So although it's not a bad loss by any means, but UCLA now can only manage a split against Arizona. If they lose both games against Arizona, then what win is going to be, you know, the kind of feather in the cap for UCLA come Selection Sunday? I, I don't know which win that will be. That obviously matters quite a bit if UCLA is trying to position for a number one seed or a number two seed. So that's just a a little factoid moving forward that I keep an eye on because there are the types of trap games in the Pac-12. It's not easy, even if you're going to play, say, a Washington State or an Oregon, which has been down. Those are games that you can reasonably lose. But as far as those top-notch games, if it's not Arizona, then I don't know who that next team is going to be that is the signature win because I don't I don't necessarily think you can put Utah or USC or even Arizona State in that conversation right now. So it'll be interesting to see how these resumes form throughout the rest of the season with a lot of these West Coast area schools because there are so many good teams, but how many great teams are there? And I think that's the, the biggest question right now. For UCLA, it was looking like their road win against Maryland was going to be a big one. It was looking like their neutral court win against Kentucky was going to be rather large as well. But unfortunately, Maryland has fallen off the table quite a bit, though they were able to provide a nice effort on Sunday. And for Kentucky, it looks like they're regrouping a little bit, but certainly not what we were expecting there. And I just mentioned that the Mountain West is very interesting as well, taking a look at some of the top teams out here on the West Coast. And I think that this is a really interesting battle that we're getting on Monday with New Mexico and Nevada doing battle. This is a game that, from my side of things, Nevada is a very slight favorite at two points. And I think that that seems relatively correct. I lean a little bit more towards New Mexico, even though this is a true road game. But what do you make out of these two teams? Because when I take a look at the Mountain West, I know that a lot of people are going to default to San Diego State being that tough team. But Every time I turn on San Diego State, maybe it's just me. I'm not necessarily left impressed. And in terms of like Mountain West power rankings for these four teams, Boise State, New Mexico, San Diego State, Nevada, they're all very, very closely knit together. You could throw in their Utah State as well, but I just don't know if their three-point shooting is necessarily sustainable. But those top five teams in the Mountain West, I mean, they are all so good and which team would be favored in a game that they play. I think it all depends upon where the game is played because I think that they're that close. They are. And as you said, those five teams up top of the Mountain West right now, they're only separated by 23 spots in Ken Palm. Well, that might seem like a lot. It it really isn't. San Diego State right now is 27th. Nevada sitting at 50th and, and Boise State, New Mexico, and Utah State are all bunched in between as well. So right now, as, as Campom has it, each of these five teams are only separated by a game in Mountain West play. So 
these games are going to mean a lot for tiebreakers. They're going to mean a lot for quadrant victories and everything in between. But as far as going back to the Nevada-New Mexico game, I would say that the advantage does go to Nevada. They just have been really, really strong at home this year. They still have, have yet to even drop a home game. And their most recent home performance might be their most impressive 40 minutes of basketball that they've played all season when they beat Utah State by 15. A huge win for a variety of reasons, uh, but especially to kind of get those metrics boosted quite a bit. Another great victory there. I think Nevada's just balanced. I've said this before. I don't think it's a team that really wows you in any particular way. There isn't necessarily a statistical category that they are dominant at. They're really solid. They take good care of the basketball. They're able to do enough on both ends. And I think the difference this year is some of these, I would say like secondary or tertiary options on Nevada in years past have really started to step up. Keenan Blackshear and Trey Coleman have produced at a high level, but I think Will Baker especially, uh, he's come on and he's developed into the type of player I think that Alford staff ultimately envisioned. But Jared Lucas is is able to, I guess, steady the offense with his shot making. Just, just last year's team had so much reliance on Grant Sherfield and Desmond Cambridge to make the key shots and have this high usage role. And it just lended its way to some pretty rough offensive possessions. I, I just think this team is, is just way more smooth. And then on the opposite end, New Mexico, after that brief two-game losing streak against Fresno State and UNLV, I think there were some people who questioned the legitimacy of New Mexico, but they have really bounced back in a huge way to beat Earl Roberts, to go on the road and beat San Diego State, and then this most recent home win against Boise State and an absolute thriller. I think New Mexico is feeling really good about what their future holds, and they're so much fun with this uh, now three-headed attack of Jamal Mashburn and Jalen House, of course, in the backcourt, but Morris Udesi has just been a, a just been phenomenal for this team coming over from Wichita State, and he's just been dominant inside. He's athletic. He gets on the boards and has just proven to be that type of interior force that I think New Mexico lacked last year uh, as the kind of number three guy to go alongside with House and Mashburn. So this is a high-level matchup. I think the biggest question right now is if we are assuming that all five teams get into the NCAA tournament, which it, it very well may not be. We could see one one or two of these teams kind of fall off. I would imagine it's at least a three-bid league. But where are these teams seated? And so much of this comes down to are you able to steal victories on the road? How well do you protect home? Do you Do you blow out the likes of Wyoming or Fresno State or Air Force? It really is going to come down to whether these teams are looking at a 10 or 11 seeds or are they looking more at seven or eight seeds when you're kind of positioned into more winnable games. And I think that's what's hurt the Mountain West in recent years is they've been 10 and 11 seeds far more than they've kind of gotten onto that six and seven seed line. And I think that's why the Mountain West has really struggled in the NCAA tournament of late because it's all about matchups and they haven't been able to get those favorable draws. So as you said, it's really wide open from here. You can reasonably make an argument for any of those five teams, but I know that there is not much separation between them. And that's what makes games like Monday night so much fun to watch. Joining me on the podcast, we do have Eli Becker of Hechek CBB and one other game to take a look at for Monday. No doubt the Baylor game is going to be absolutely massive that we're seeing, but I'm really intrigued by this Duke team because on Saturday, I saw something that I really liked. They got something out of Derek Lively. He had 10 rebounds, five blocks. Now they go on the road against a Virginia Tech team that I think we would both be in agreement is better than what their record would indicate. They've lost seven straight games, but they've lost every one of them by 10 points or fewer. But what do you make out of this Duke team? Because this is a game that 
I think a lot of people could perceive as a trap. It's a true road game. It's never easy to go into Blacksburg and win, but I do feel like this is a Duke team that's turning the corner. I like them to be able to get this win against Virginia Tech, and I do think that they're building some positive momentum with finally being able to get a little bit of production out of Lively along with Dariq Whitehead, who's been able to give the team double figures in five out of the last seven games. It is a huge spot for Duke because we kind of feel like Duke is turning the corner. I thought that home win over Miami could have been the boost that they needed to kind of get the wheels rolling a little bit after, I guess it was three losses then in a, in a course of just uh, six games, which was a, a pretty tough stretch for this team and I think is still trying to find its identity overall. Setback on Monday night, I think it would create further questions about where this team is at because as you touched on, there have been some nice moments. Uh, Jeremy Roach was great against Miami coming back from his injury. I thought he was excellent off the bench, and he provided quite a bit of a spark. Eric Lively has been, uh, I would say, absent for the majority of the season. He's only finished in double figures once the entire year, which I don't don't think anyone would have expected coming into the season. You want to see him do a little bit more. Kyle Filipowski might be the team's best offensive threat at this point. Uh, But when it's not him, I think that's when the questions kind of linger about who's going to be that guy who can step up because we know that Dreek Whitehead is certainly capable of of being that. He's a great shot maker, but he's had some clunkers. Tyrese Proctor, he's had games where he's been solid, but he's also had some games where he's kind of absent. I think, you know, Boston College game, the NC State loss could be examples of where he sort of faded away a little bit. And I don't really know what the situation is like with Jalen Blakes. He only had five minutes against Miami, but I, I feel like he could be one of the team's more impactful players. He had some really good performances at the end of December and now hasn't really done much of anything so far in January. So it's kind of a big unknown with Duke at this point because we know that they're good. We know that the ceiling is high. I don't think anyone would doubt that they could potentially make a run to say the elite eight if everything works out but it could also be kind of a trap situation here monday night against virginia tech because although this team is 11 and 8 they've they've been close in a number of these matchups uh they've now lost seven games in a row but most of these have been by one or two possessions and it's just not your typical 11 and 8 team so it's an opportunity for Virginia Tech to maybe get on a bit of a run here and Duke is is certainly has plenty of question marks along the way but we'll see kind of how Guys like Jeremy Roach get up to speed, whether they can get more out of Derek Lively and kind of who's going to be that number one scoring option out of the backcourt or on the wings. I think those are the biggest questions for Duke right now. Yeah, Ben, with Virginia Tech, they're 1-7 and seven in conference and their one-win game against North Carolina, which that's just really wild to take a look at this team. They have been very random in an ACC that, in general, has been very random other than we all knew that Louisville was going to stink coming into the year end. Boy, have they stunk thus far, but a man that is the absolute opposite of Louisville, that'd be you, Eli, because you're absolutely awesome. You do great work over there at Echeck CBB, do a nice job taking a look at the game that we all know and love, and I know that all of you guys over there at Echeck CBB working very hard as we get closer and closer to March. Let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just what's all on tap for you in general. I appreciate that, Greg. Follow us on Heatcheck CBB on social media and all of our written content and podcast content can be found on heatcheckcbb.com. And like you said, the days are starting to get longer, weather's getting better, and we can start doing a bit of a countdown. I think we're just 50 days or so out from Selection Sunday. So starting to heat up now. It's an exciting time and always fun to hop on the show and, and break down some of the biggest stories in college hoops. Absolutely. And we're about five, maybe five and a half weeks away from conference tournaments as well. Everyone always loves the NCAA tournament, but yeah. these conference tournaments, tournaments 
they are absolute mayhem as well. So we are getting closer and closer to that. I know that Eli, much like myself, is very much looking forward to it. He does amazing work over there at Eject CBB, and it is always great to get Eli Becker aboard. Big thanks to him for joining me on Coast to Coast Soup Style, part of the Visa Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot? The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values, premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. And we're right here, Love You Las Vegas, for Gus and Soups with myself, Greg Oops Peters. And now, part of the Beeson Family Podcast, it's always great to be joined by Eli Becker. Does amazing work over there at EchXCBB, one of the best outlets to be able to find great college basketball information that you are going to find. He adds up all of it every single time he joins this podcast. Once tremendous insights, much like he did today. Big thanks to Eli for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNN underscore D1. We're going to be going in the Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the rotation first, and then the games with six digits that includes... The independent game with Hartford doing battle with Penn, the SWAC, the MEAC, the Patriot League, anything from the America East, those are going to be the games that are going to be at the bottom. So let's get things started with 863-864 on the betting board. It is Oakland, and they're going to be on the road facing off against Detroit. Detroit is a 5.5 point favorite. Your total on this game is 153, and I made my number on this game 3 with Detroit. They're just such a bad defensive team, and you can really say that about both of these teams, as they both do a good job of being able to put the ball in the basket, and boy, do these teams leave a lot to be desired. Among your 363 D1 teams, both of these teams rank outside the top 300 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. For much of the year, Oakland was actually dead last in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're now actually better than Detroit. Oakland clocking in 337th of the country with this regard in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Detroit, 345th. It's a Detroit team that is very mid-tempo. They do a good job of putting the ball in the basket because you've got one of the best scorers. They're going to find it all of college basketball. Antoine Davis, who's been able to give this team nearly 26 points per contest. He has been rock solid. But then you take a look on the flip side for Oakland, and you've got a pair of guys at Keaton Harvey along Trey Townsend that do a really good job of being able to contribute for this team. Both of these guys shooting the neighborhood above 41% from three-point range. Townsend, 17 points. 
right around seven and a half rebounds per game. Harvey does a good job chipping in there, twelve and a half points, seven boards. You get about a block out of Townsend as well, and then you got Jalen Moore. Say we give you more, fifteen and a half points, six assists. Has done a good job of cutting down on the turnovers, although he did have seven in that game against Youngstown State. But past that, he's been able to do a good job of shoring things up on that front. Meanwhile, for Detroit. They've been dealing with quite a few injuries. You've got Jaden Stone who's currently out of the fold. They've been dealing with the injury to Jordan Phillips for quite a while as well. These are a pair of guys that have been able to register a combined about 23 points per game between the two of them. Both shoot over 44% for three. Now, they do have Gerald Liddell back in the fold, but he was limited to just 20 minutes in their game against Robert Morrison. He hasn't been the same guy since coming back. He was dealing with a little bit of an injury, and in his last three games, six rebounds or fewer after he started out the year just on a blistering pace. He had a double-double in each of the first seven games they had played this season. So the support for Antoine Davis has not been there recently. Meanwhile, you got an Oakland team that you have Rocket Watts, who I don't necessarily care for, but he still is able to give this team right around nine points per contest. It is an Oakland team that has been better on defense. I know it doesn't sound like much, but in regulation, because their IEPUI game went to overtime, 73 points of fear surrendered in four of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Detroit team that has allowed at least 75 points in each of their last five games. I certainly do anticipate a high-scoring game, even though Detroit is a mid-tempo team. Some might tell at 155. I'm looking over at Detroit. Can I set them as a three-point favorite? Won't take the five and a half with Oakland, just with the supporter on Antoine Davis being banged up and looking at this total over. Now we go to the DK Nation pick of 865-866 on the betting board. Virginia Tech plays host to Duke. Duke's between a one to a two-point underdog with your total between 137.5 and 138. And I set Duke as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. DK Nation pick, it's either going to be money line or spread. Sometimes these get published before money lines are available, like as I do this podcast. They aren't available. Typically, they're available more towards the early a.m., but... In some former capacity, I'm going to be on Duke, whether that's catching like one to two points or if that's just taking them on the money line at like even money, something of that nature. But I do think that Duke is starting to turn a corner. Very good what we saw out of Derek Lively in that last game against Miami. He was really a big reason why they won that game. Only six points but ten rebounds, five blocks, and then Derek Whitehead. He's been able to register double figures in now five out of the team's last seven games. And when he scores in double figures, Duke is four and one. The big key for Duke, though, is allowing fewer than 69 points because when they've held opponents to below 69 points, they're 12-0. When they give up more than 69 points, they're 2-5. And And you've got a Virginia Tech team that they have scored 69 points or fewer in four other last five games. It's a pair of teams that they aren't necessarily up-tempo. Virginia Tech right around 250th in terms of possessions. Brain Duke is actually slower. Duke is right around 285th to 290th and for Virginia Tech. Good versatility on the team with Grant Basile along Justin Mutz. They combine for 27 points. Mutz gives you 7.5 boards, 4 assists, 1.7 steals, shoots 40% for 3. Basile 1.4 blocks, 38.5% 3-point shooter with 5.5 rebounds per game. But these are really the long two guys that give you north of 4.2 rebounds per game. They've been dealing with the injury to Hunter Couture. That has been earning them quite a bit. Darius Maddox who shot over 50% from 3-point range last season. That is down to 33% 3-point shooting. Good news on the 
Couture front is that he's been able to return the last two games to combine 17 points in those two contests. They were hoping to get a little bit of something out of Rodney Rice, made his debut against Syracuse. Things didn't necessarily pan out there. We haven't seen him since. It's been all about Sean Padula trying to manufacture offense, 16 points, 4 assists, and I recognize that this might look like a little bit of a trap because people are going to look at that Virginia Tech record and be like, oh, Virginia Tech, they're not very good and things of that nature. It stinks for Virginia Tech. They've lost all seven of these games on the losing streak by 10 points or fewer. The reason why my DK Nation pick is Duke is not just because of the record itself, just because I think that Duke is starting to ascend. Kyle Filipowski, 15 points, 9.5 boards. You get Jeremy Roach back in the fold in that game against Miami. He had 14 points, 4 assists, 2 turnovers. That is absolutely massive for this team. This is not fading Virginia Tech. This is backing Duke and a Duke team that had such a good freshman class and those guys finally beginning to ascend. That is why I did set Duke as a 2.5 point favorite. My DK Nation pick that is on Duke, whether it be as a very, very slight underdog taking the point slash on the money line as an underdog. I set them as a two and a half point favorite. I did set my total at 135 and a half. Just laid out had a pair of slower teams. Both of these teams are right around 60th to 80th in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Duke's calling card has really been the defense. When they hold opponents to 69 points or fewer, they've had great success and I do think that they're going to be able to do so here. Some might tell at 135.5, diving under and with Duke, they are my DK and Asia pick. 867-868 on the betting board. It is Chicago State on the road facing off against Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers are anywhere between a 7.5 to an 8 point favorite and your total on this game, you're finding it anywhere between a 144 and a 145 and with Coastal Carolina I can only set them as a 7 point favorite. I'm actually going to be back in Chicago State. Strange non-conference game to say the least and for Chicago State straight up wins have been eluding them but they've won 11 and 8 against the spread and take a look at what they've been able to do in their recent last few games. They've been able to hold within single digits or get an outright win in 4 out of their last 5 so they've actually been able to do a solid job on this front. Now for Chicago State when they face off against D1 teams because they had some random game against the East-West Phantoms. They have been held to 65 points or fewer and now 7 out of their last 8, but they are now going up against a Coastal Carolina team that objectively stinks in terms of their defense. It's a Coastal Carolina team that in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, they're in the bottom 75 at all of college basketball. Chicago State are unclean enough. They're right around 325th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. So both of these teams have a difficult time in terms of their defense, but both of these teams don't necessarily play at a breakneck pace. You've got a Coastal Carolina team that has seen their possessions per game go up or because they played a few overtime games recently, so now they're right around 164th with this regard. You got a Chicago State team that they've been playing quite a bit more low and slowly this season as Currently, they are clocking in at 262nd in terms of possessions per game. And for Chicago State, Wesley Carter Jr. and Jay Sean Corbett have been your main two headliners for this team. They combine for 29 points. Corbett gives you nine boards per contest while shooting about 31% for three. Carter, he chips in there, steal, three assists, five rebounds per game. It's been Elijah Weaver who's been able to make things happen from the outside along with Bryce Johnson. Johnson shoots 41% for three. Weaver, 11.5 points, three assists per contest. But like what I've seen out of them now with Coastal Carolina, their big advantage going to be down low. Isam Mustafa, 13.5 points. 
10.4 rebounds per game. He's had a double-double in three out of the last four contests. Doesn't necessarily give you a lot of shot blocking, though, and for Coastal Carolina. Ever since they've gotten Antonio Day Jr. into the fold, they haven't necessarily been able to ascend. Now, Day Jr. is coming off of scoring 25 points with 21 assists in the team's last two games, but also had seven turnovers in those games as well. Coastal Carolina, about 12.5 turnovers as a collective. They shoot well at the free throw line. In a late-game fouling situation, they make 78% of their free throws, and Josh Uduje has really been able to take off. He's got to combine 59 points in the last two contests. That's not necessarily sustainable, though. Linton Brown has come in. He shot 30 percent from three-point range. He's been a relatively solid scorer for this team. And then you've got Jamario Brown, who's been able to do a nice job putting in their 15 points per game. Problem is, Jamario Brown has missed the last three contests. Looks like he's probably going to be missing in this game for a Coastal Carolina team that has allowed at least 80 points in four of their last five games. Got a Chicago State team that they have not been able to get past 65 recently. So, good old case of something's got to give. I do think that things are going to be a little bit cranked down in this game because Coastal Carolina, their possessions per game are rather warped because they have been playing these overtime games. Each other last two games have went to overtime. So, circumstance where I did set my total at 136, I'm diving under to only make Coastal Carolina a seven-point favorite. So, we'll have to take eight here with Chicago State to go along with that under 869, 870 on the betting board. North Dakota, they throw out the face off against Western. Illinois. Western Illinois is anywhere between a 6.5 to a 7-point favorite. Your total anywhere between 139.5 and 140. And for Western Illinois, I did make them a 6-point favorite, so I'm going to be one take the 6.5 to 7 with North Dakota. North Dakota, a bottom 30 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and they only have one guy that's able to give you north of 4.5 rebounds per game. Sonstay, Sarcistay, he comes in from the country of Georgia. He's been register 8.5 rebounds per game, but done a good job, Risha Sinley. Six plus rebounds in far of the team's last five games. All games in which he has been able to score in double figures. So, six foot nine, a little bit of a combo player that's been able to help this team out as he shoots 33% from three in North Dakota as a whole. They do shoot right around 35% from three with B.J. Omot leading the way with a little bit over 11 points per contest. They go up against the Western Illinois team that really doesn't have a lot of size. You've been able to get 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds out of Josiah West and then Trenton Mason and Alec Rosner. They've been able to do a good job in the backcourt. Rosner comes in from Winona State, 2.5 assists, 14.5 points per game, while shooting 40% from three. Macer stat sheets up for 16.3 points, 5.6 rebounds, 5.2 assists, 1.7 steals on 34% three-point shooting, but for Western Illinois, I mean, I outlined the fact that you've got a very, very bad defense when it comes to this North Dakota team. Not like Western Illinois is batting down the hatches themselves, 270th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. It is a North Dakota team that they look to play a little bit more slowly, 200 77th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Western Illinois, they're more around 170th, but I do think that North Dakota is going to be a hold up in this game because they do have a nice versatile player of their own in Jalon Trent. Doesn't give you a lot of scoring with 5 points per game, but 3.7 rebounds, 2.8 assists, just does the little things well for this team. He has committed approximately three turnovers in the last three games, so he's been able to ascend on that front, and it is a North Dakota team that has allowed 71 points or fewer in far of their last five games. Lone exception was against Oral Roberts. Western Illinois have scored 63 points or fewer in each of their last three games, so it is a circumstance where I do think that North Dakota is going to be able to hold in a game in which we're probably not going to be seeing a whole bunch of possessions, which is why I did set my total out of 138. I'm going to be one that I've under in this spot with Western Illinois. I do think that they've got a little bit more talent, especially in the backcourt, but 
Well, they make them a six-point favorite, so we'll take six and a half to seven with North Dakota and the total under 871, 872 on the betting board. Baylor plays us to Kansas. Kansas between a three to three and a half point underdog. Totals between 149 and 149 and a half. With Baylor, I set them as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be one to take the three to three and a half with Kansas. This is just a very, very brutal Big 12 for Kansas, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are going to be like, oh, there's no way they could lose three times in a row. Well, you take a look at their two wins that they had before this two-game losing streak. They barely got out alive against Iowa State, winning that game by two against Oklahoma. They needed a big run late on their home floor to be able to pull that one off. I mean, it's just a really, really tough conference. And for Kansas, they've now allowed at least 75 points in three out of their last four games. They're going up against Baylor team that may have been all over the place with their defense in their last five games. It was an overtime game, but they give up 97 to Kansas State, 78 to West Virginia, 58 to Oklahoma State, 74 to Texas Tech, and 60 to Oklahoma. So, they have been very Jekyll and Hyde, but I do think that for Baylor, what is going to be important is Keontae George and the way that he's continued to ascend. 17.4 points, 4.5 boards, shooting 35.5% from 3. Adam Flagler is shooting 45% from the outside with 16 points per contest. He has been remarkable for the team with 5.3 assists to 1.6 turnovers per game, and that's such a big key for this Baylor team. They've been able to cut down on the turnovers as they've been able to right the ship. When it comes to both of these teams, they do leave a little bit of something to be desired on defense, especially Baylor, who is 112th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but for Baylor, allowing 19.8 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. Kansas, they're number 42 in the country in terms of defensive efficiency. It did not shine through in their game against TCU, though, but for Kansas, they've got the best forward in this game, and that'd be Jalen Wilson. 21.5 points, 8.8 boards. Shoots about 34% from three, and Grady Dick, he shoots 44% from the outside, five boards, 14.5 points per game. K.J. Adams has been able to do some relatively solid work as well. Wasn't necessarily his finest hour against TCU, to say the least, and he has been very foul-prone recently, but he's been able to give the team 14-plus points in four of the last five games, 10.5 points, 4.5 Boards, and then you've got Kevin McCullough, who just does it all. 10 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 2.5 steals. He'll chip in there nearly a block per game. I mean, he just does it all. Kansas doesn't necessarily have a ton of depth, but what they do have is the advantage down low on Baylor. Baylor has Jalen Bridges along full thumb, both giving you between 5 and 5.5 five and rebounds per game, and that's it. You can tell that they are missing Jonathan Chalmachachwa, and you've got to love Dewan Harris, giving out 6.6 assists to 2 turnovers per game. Both of these teams, they play a little bit more quickly, but they don't necessarily play out of control. It is a Kansas team that in terms of total possessions per game, they're 92nd in the country for Baylor. They're 132nd. I do expect this game to have some solid possessions, and I do think that Baylor is improving on defense. I do think that for Kansas, their recent defensive numbers are a little bit warped by the fact that that Kansas State game did go to overtime. So I did set my total at 146 half. I'm going to be willing to dive under in this spot. I do think that Baylor gets the job done. I still do have the fear that Baylor is going to turn the ball over a little bit. This is a Kansas team that they generate a little bit over nine steals per contest. So set Baylor is a two and a half point favorite. We'll only take three or more with Kansas on the road, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under 873, 874 on the betting board. It is New Mexico. They throw to face off against Nevada. Nevada is between a one and a half to a two point favorite, and your total on this game is 147 and a half. And with Nevada, I set them actually as the underdog of one and a half points. I like what I'm seeing out of New Mexico. It's going to be tough for them to go into Reno and get the W, but I think that they're going to be able to do so. Going to take New Mexico outright on the money line. It's a New Mexico team that they've been able to get their offense going. They have scored at least 70 points in each other last five games for that matter, at least 75 points in each other last five games. And they go up against a Nevada bunch 
that they have really had their calling card be defense this year for Nevada. They have slowed down their tempo. They're now outside the top 200 in terms of total possessions per game. They're in the top 100 in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but New Mexico is actually the more efficient defense. 54th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and for New Mexico, they're allowing 0.4 points more per 100 possessions in a road-slash-neutral court environment versus at home. So their defense has been able to travel. Jabal Mashburn Jr., Jalen House, they combine for about 36 points, 7.5 rebounds. House is able to give you 4.6 assists, 2 0.8 steals per game, and both guys shoot about 40.5% from three-part range. Race Uduze, Lon Josiah Alec combined for 17 rebounds with Uduze chipping in their 15.5 points. KJ Jenkins is able to shoot 41% from three. This New Mexico lineup is stout. Meanwhile, for Nevada, you've got really good versatility out of freshman Darian Williams. 6 for 6 combo player, 6.5 points, 7.3 rebounds. Shoots a little bit over 30% from three and has been held down with his scoring recently. He combined six points the last two games, but a combined 15 rebounds and 6 assists in those games. Trod Lucas, he's able to get you a bucket at any time. He shoots 38% from 3 with 16.5 points per contest. Will Baker, stretchable 7-footer that's able to pop 3, shooting about 34% from the outside, and that's really going to be the hardest thing for New Mexico to match up against, but we've seen New Mexico do a solid job on the road, and this is a Nevada team that all of a sudden the defense it has been faltering just a little bit, giving up at least 69 points in far their last 5 games. The lone exception was against San Jose State, and I just don't think that they've got the offensive weapons that New Mexico does. New Mexico, a very underrated defense that they've already proven against the likes of St. Mary's that they're able to win lower scoring games. I did set my total at a 147F. I do think that this is going to be a game that involves some late game felling and if it does involve late game felling, I do think that New Mexico is going to be able to execute late as overall as a collective they're shooting about 72.5% at the free line with each other top two scorers in Mashburn and House shooting about 78% the free line. So I like New Mexico all right on the money line. Did set my total at a 147.5. So here at the 147.5, it's a little bit of wait and see mode. We were seeing a debit earlier in the day. This total will be at a 147, and that would be my highest of high buy points on the over. So 147 or less looking over. If we get past 148, going to be a take for me on the under. But do like New Mexico to be able to get the job done all right on the money line. This is a game that is currently not up on the board as I do this, and it's going to be the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board. That would be Wisconsin versus Northwestern. I think they will assign this rotation number 875-876. So could be mistaken there. For my handicap, I did place Wisconsin as a four-point underdog, and I made my total 126. You've got a Northwestern team that is in the top 10 nationally in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, and you got a pair of teams that they are just not playing with any sort of tempo whatsoever. With Northwestern, among your 363 D1 teams, they are ranked 210th in terms of possessions per game, and for Wisconsin, 335th. It is a Wisconsin team that now finally has Tyler Wall back in the fold, and honestly, Wisconsin having this game pushed back about 48 hours, I think that it does them more good than it does Northwestern. Northwestern dealing with some COVID concerns, so we shall see who's going to be out of the fold. It seems like most of your main backcourt pieces for Northwestern, like Chase Odige, like a... Boo booey. These guys should be good to go in this one. Obviously, this is a little bit of subject to change. And if someone like a boo booey, Chase Odish is out of the fold, I certainly will be adjusting this handicap in the AM accordingly. But these two gentlemen I just mentioned, they combine for 7.6 assists. You have Odish going out for 2.9 steals per game and shooting 35.5% from three. You get a combined 30 and a half points out of the two of them. And it's a Northwestern team that they only turn the ball over 10 and a half times per game. They force 8.7 steals per game. They're going to have a little bit of 
tough time down low, though you do have Ty Berry, Robbie Barron, along with Bent Nicholson, who have been able to do a solid job down low. They've been able to combine for about 17 and a half rebounds per game. Flip side for Wisconsin, getting back wall is just absolutely significant. For Tyler Wall, he's averaging 13 points, 6 half boards. First game back against Penn State, he was able to have 10 points, 5 boards in 32 minutes. Was a big difference maker in that win for them. And then you got Stephen Crawley. He's a 7-footer that is able to facilitate 2.8 assists, 7 rebounds, 13 points per game. I think Northwestern is going to have a tough time matching up with that. Chucky Upburn, along with Mr. Asesian, have been able to shoot it well from 3-point range. For Connor Asesian, 45.5% 3-point shooter with 10.5 points per game. Hepburn, 3.3 assists, 2 steals. 12 and a half points per game. I think that Wisconsin going to be able to hold in there. I do think that this Northwestern team is going to be tough at home, and we've seen this Northwestern team just not really allow a lot of points since that strange game that they played against Michigan where they gave up 85 points. It's just, I think, a little bit more of the exception rather than the rule. I do think that Northwestern going to get back to their slow, grody style after they gave up 73-plus points in three of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Wisconsin team that you know, scored 65 points or fewer in all but one of their games here in the new year. So I did set my total at 126, 125 and a half or less, looking at the over 126 and a half or higher to the under end with Northwestern. Set them as a four-point favorite, so three and a half or less willing to lay with Northwestern, four and a half or more taking the points with Wisconsin. Now we get the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. This starts with 306, 629, 306, 630. Boston U is going to be playing against Colgate. Colgate is a favorite of five points. Don's game is between 143 and a half and 144. I do think that this is going to be a minty fresh cover. I said Colgate as a seven and a half point favorite. With Colgate, they are a bottom one on team in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis, but they're going up against a Boston U team that they don't necessarily impress me in any real capacity. They're 184th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per possession basis. And for Colgate, you got four different guys that give you at least 11.4 points per game. Braden Smith, Keegan Records, Tucker Richardson, and Oliver Lynch Daniels, other than Records, who's your main rebounder with 12.5 points, 5.5 rebounds per game. All these guys bomb it from three. Richardson, so versatile, 4.5 boards, 5 assists, 14.5 points for a Colgate team that ranks in the top 25 in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. They shoot 51% from the floor, 40% from three, with 10.5 turnovers per game. They go up against a Boston U team that they don't do a great job of being able to generate swipes, and they rely a little bit too much on Walter White, who's leading the team in points with 14.2, rebounds with 5.5. Per contest. He also does shoot about 35% from three as a six foot six combo player, Boston U as a whole. They do shoot 34.5% from the outside. Ethan Britton Watts is able to shoot 40% from three. He and Jonas Harper are combining for 20 points per game, but don't have a ton down low for this team. Devin Zink, five and a half points, five rebounds per game. Buckup Chemise, I was hoping for a little bit more out of him this season. He's been doing a little bit better. You take a look at him down the stretch. He's been able to give you 24 rebounds in the last four games, but you expected him to be a little bit more of a force down low, and Colgate really should have their way, in my opinion, in this game. These two teams match up a little bit earlier on as you go back to matchup number one. Colgate on their home floor did not get the cover, but they were able to win by a count of 77 to 71 in that game. Colgate went just 8 of 25 from three-point range, 17 of 28 from the free throw line. It was one of their worst shooting days of the entire season. They still won that game by six. I think that they go on the road. They hand it to a Boston U team that they lost despite the fact that Jonas Harper was able to go off for 23 points in that game. And Chimaisu, I mentioned before, he had 11 rebounds in this game. So, circumstance in which I set Colgate as 
7.5 point favorite, 1 to 8. I think that you get a total very similar to the first time around. Boston U and Colgate, both are teams that are outside the top 200 in terms of possessions per game, but Colgate just so darn efficient on offense. So, gosh darn inefficient on defense. They get points up on the board, set by total 147.5, looking over and willing to lay with Colgate, set them as a 7.5 point favorite. 3636 31, 3632. Hartford plays us at Penn. The Quakers at Penn are a 13.5 to a 14 point favorite, and your total on scheme is 140. I set Penn as an 18 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. These two teams matched up in late November. There was a multi team event that Penn was hosting, and in that game, Penn just completely destroyed Hartford by a count of 75 to 55 in that game. Penn went 12 of 24 from three-point range, and Jordan Dingle didn't even start in that game. He came in off the bench. He, in 18 minutes, scored 20 points. I mean, it's just hilarious how bad this Hartford team is because Hartford is not playing with a lot of pace. In terms of total possessions per game, it's a Hartford team as 240th, but you just take a look at the inefficiency of this team. In terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, 348th. They're a bottom 75 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis. Briggs McLean has been terrific for this Hurtford team, 16 and a half points, steal and a half per contest, shoots 37% from three-part range, and then you do have a pair of guys that are both able to give you a swipe apiece. Michael Dunn, who's been able to give you 10 points, right around two and a half assists per game. Curtis Henderson, he gives you 10 points, he chips in there two and a half assists, they both shoot about 32% from three-part range, but other than Jerry Kimbrough, Alon Pano, Paul Davis, who combined for 11 rebounds per game, you've got nothing down low for Penn. It's not like they're doing a great job on the glass. Nick Spinoso, Lucas Monroe, they combine for a little bit over 10 rebounds per game, but Clark Slazier, he's been able to chip in there 15 and a half points. He shoots 94% free throw line, mid 30s from three point range, and Jordan Dingle, I mean, man, 23 and a half points per game, shoots about 34% from three. This guy has been one of the most consistent walking buckets in all of college basketball. He has scored at least 14 points in every single game this year. He has already lit Hartford ablaze once. I think that he's going to do so once again. It's a Hartford team that has just been so rudderless on defense, giving up at least 78 points in each out of their last four games. I do think that you're going to see Penn put up a good number, but I also do think that Penn is going to be able to hold down this Hartford team a little bit more as well. It is a Penn defense that has now allowed 72 points or fewer in three out of their last four games. This up my total at a 142. I do think that Penn, a team that does rank outside the top 225 in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis, he give up a little bit, but I think it's just the dingle show here for Penn. So the Penn's an 18-point favorite, willing to lay with Penn, and looking at this 140 over, 306, 633, 306, 634. South Carolina State plays host to Delaware State. Delaware State is an underdog of 6.5 to 7 points. Your total between 146.5 and 147. I mean, South Carolina State, the... 10.5 point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it here with South Carolina State. They're going up against a Delaware State team that is just awful in all facets of basketball. You do have a guy in Brandon Stone. He comes in from a Robert Morris as a 6 foot 11 combo player. Gives you 11.5 points, 5 boards, able to shoot about 32%. From three-point range, but Delaware State, a bottom 20 team in terms of points scored on a per-possession basis, 354th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, they're going up against a South Carolina State team that's leaving a lot to be desired on the defensive side of things, 362nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but for Delaware State, they are a slow-tempo team in the bottom 
150 in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they turn the ball over 16 times per game. They actually shoot about 34% from three-par range. You get 8.5 points, 4.3 rebounds, 2.5 assists out of Martez Robinson, who's able to shoot 40% from three, but the problem is all those turnovers, they just add up, and you got nobody that's able to hit the glass for this team. Meanwhile, you got Davion Everett for South Carolina State. He's able to give you right around six rebounds per game. They've now got Lushan Holmes back to the fold. He, coupled with Rakeem Gary, have been able to combine for 24 points per contest with Hullums. He shoots 39% from three-point range. It's a South Carolina State team then. They turn the ball over 14 and a half times per game, which sounds relatively unsightly, but this is a South Carolina State team that they have so many turnovers just because they play so gosh darn up tempo. In terms of total possessions per game, they rank 16th in all of college basketball. You could use a little bit more out of Rashawn Edwards, was expecting him to ascend a little bit more this year. He's been averaging just 8 points per contest, but that's that with South Carolina State. Much more versatility with this team. They should be able to win the battle on the glass. We got a Delaware State team that has scored 66 points or fewer in each other last five games. They have not exceeded 70 all season long. Meanwhile, you've got a South Carolina State team that may be able to get to at least 70 points in now four out of their last five games. Meanwhile, they also have allowed at least 70 points in each other last four games. So, good old circumstance of something's got to give. I do think that the tempo is going to be cranked up a little bit more in this game, but I can't trust in Delaware State putting the ball in the basket. Sub-I total at 142. Looking under with South Carolina State. Set them as a 10-point favorite. Want to lay the number 306, 635, 306, 636. NC Central playing us to Maryland Eastern Shore. The Shore is a 7 to a 7.5 point underdog. So this game is saying between 134.5 and 135.5. I did set NC Central as a 9.5 point favorite. I'm willing to lay pretty much anything of single digits with them. NC Central coached up by Lavelle Moten, who was the AAU coach of John Wall back in the day, and he's making you a whole lot of money. 10-3-1 against the spread for NC Central. That's a top five covering in all of college basketball. Maryland needs to short to their credit. 10-5 and five against the spread, so he's a two of your better money-making teams in all of college basketball. Maryland needs to short has really been able to hang their hat on defense. They've allowed 70 points or fewer, and now five out of their last six contests. Meanwhile, you've got a NC Central team that they do a good job of ripping the ball away. They've been able to get their offense launched as they have scored at least 70 points in four out of their last five games, but they're a relatively tough team on defense as well. Maryland Eastern Shore, a little bit more of a slow-tempo team. They're outside the top 240 in terms of total possessions per game. NC Central, they're more around 140th in terms of possessions per game, so they're playing a little bit more quickly, but it's not like they're playing at a breakneck pace, but the thing with NC Central is they're just more efficient. 167th in the country in terms of points a lot on a per-possession basis. Maryland Eastern Shore, more around 225th. Eastern Shore does a good job being able to generate right around 10 CLs per game, but they're a little bit all or nothing on that front. They do have the top rebounder in this game. And Nathaniel Pollard is able to give you about 7 rebounds per game, but the medley of bacon is taking old for NC Central. Brendan Medley Bacon. In the team's last two games, he has had a combined 36 points, 15 rebounds, and 10 blocks. The guy stands 7 feet tall. He is just a force that I don't think the Maryland Easter Shore is going to be able to account for. And then you've got Mr. Wright, Francie Central, and Justin Wright. Shipped in there 15 half points, 2 half assists, 1 half seals, shoot 44% from 3. And Eric Boone has the most active fans in this game. 5 assists, 4 and a half boards, 8 points, 2.3 seals, shoots 40% from 3. NC Central as a whole, they shoot 38.8% from 3 par range. Maryland Easter Shore gives up quite a bit from the outside. 
side and other than Pollard, don't have a single guy on the shore that's able to give you north of four rebounds per game. You do have a nice score that's able to give you about 13 points per game and Kevon Voles and Voles, he chips in their two seals per game for this unit, but you also do have a Maryland Eastern Shore team that they turned the ball for 14 and a half times per game on offense. You've got a pair of guys in Zion, Stiles, Tom Phillips, they combine for about 21 points per game. Amada Fofana has been able to do a solid job coming in from Canisius with his two and a half assists per game, but with NC Central, even though you don't have quite as much depth as you do with Maryland Eastern Shore, that top end talent, in my opinion, should be able to win out in this spot. I did set my total at 135 and a half. I fully expect a little bit of late game falling to be able to push this total over, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and with NC Central willing to lay up to 9 with them. 306 306-38. Morgan State is going to be playing us to Norfolk State. Norfolk State, a 3.5 point favorite with your total on this game. 143 to 143.5 and for Norfolk State, did set them as a three-point favorite. So now that we've got the hook on three, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Morgan State. Morgan State has a top front-line talent in this game with Isaiah Burke coupled with Malik Moore. These two guys are combining for 37.6 points. Moore gives you 9.8 rebounds, 3.9 assists, 2.1 seals on 35% three-point shooting. Burke, he's the 20-point-per-game scorer that shoots 45% from three. Chips in there, 2.8 assists, 1.3 seals per contest. Now, pass A, you don't have a lot else. You do have have five boards, nine points per game out of Khalil Turner, but it's a Morgan State team that once again playing as they always do at warp speed. It's a Norfolk State team that they're a little bit more buttoned up in their approach. 269th in terms of total possessions per game. Meanwhile, Morgan State, they grip it, they rip it, they run it down your throat. They are sixth in the country in terms of total possessions per game. And for Norfolk State, it's all about Joe Bryan Jr. in the backcourt. 17 points, four boards, four assists, 1.6 steals on 35.5% three-point shooting. And for Norfolk State, they shoot 35% from three. The problem for Norfolk State is when they made the NCAA tournament in recent years, they've been a good defensive team and their defense seems to be picking it up a little bit, but 292nd in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Morgan State is actually the more efficient defense in this game. 206th in the country. I will say this for Morgan State very strangely. Giving up 6.9 points fewer per one earned possessions when they're on the road rather than when they are at home. So that has been interesting to take a look at as you've got yourself a Morgan State team that has allowed at least 73 points in four of their last five games but they've gotten to at least 78 points in four of those games as well. Meanwhile, you've got a Norfolk State bunch that, to their credit, they've allowed 65 points or fewer in four of their last five games, but you have to keep in mind the context of these games. Played against Maryland Eastern Shore, Delaware State, and non-D1 team Howard and Coppin State, so they certainly have not been playing against some of the best of competition in this run. They should have the best rebounder in this game. Chris Bankson actually led all of college basketball during the 2018-19 season while at Little Rock among qualifying players in field goals. Shooting percentage is making 72% of his field goals thus far this season. You've got Christian Ings, Dana Tate, who are able to combine for about 18 points per game. Both of these guys shoot it well from three-point range, but Ings has been dealing with a little bit of an ailment. He last played in their game against Maryland Eastern Shore a few weeks ago. I expect him to be out of the fold once again, which means that Keen Brown, who's been able to give you about 12 points per game, but only shoots 30% from three, he needs to step into a bigger role. Last two games, he has been able to give the team a combined 40 points, eight assists. I wonder if this is built on a little bit of sand, though. So it's a spot where said Norfolk State is a very point favorite here, getting three and a half. Going to be taking the points with Morgan State and with this total, semi total 147. A Norfolk State team that has not been as efficient on defense this season, and Morgan State always guns it. So looking at the over and looking at three and a half with Morgan State, three is six six thirty nine, three is six six forty. Howard is playing out to compensate. Compensate is an underdog of eight points. Your total is between one fifty five and one fifty five and a half. Clay make Howard a seven and a half point favorite. So going to be looking to take the points with compensate. For compensate, 
Their offense has went completely down the tubes prior to their game against George Mason to really wrap up the new year. This was a team that was doing a really good job on offense. You take a look at what has happened recently, though, and man, they have been a shell of themselves. They had scored 66 points or fewer in six out of their last seven games after they had scored pretty much 70 points in eight out of their previous 10 games. I do think that Sam Sessions is going to be able to get things back online. He's been able to give this Cobb State team 21 half points, five assists. She's 38.5% from three-point range. He had a single-digit clunker against Morgan State where he had just nine points in that one. I do think that he's going to be able to pick it up and take a look at Cobb State. Bigger is why they have so much scoring is just because they crank up the tempo in general. Compensate. Fourth in the country in terms of possessions per game, and even in this dry spell, they still have been playing super duper fast. You've got Nenda Turk, who does a good job with his active fans. Ham Sam Sessions combined for 4.3 steals. Tark gives you six rebounds, 12.5 points per contest. Only shoots so about 31% for three. Meanwhile, for Howard, we've got Elijah Hawkins, who can sometimes get himself in a little bit of trouble with 3.8 turnovers per game. And Howard, 16.6 turnovers per game. It is a Howard team that they were very mid-tempo to begin the season. Now they're right around 65th in the country in terms of possessions per game since Miak play has started. They're playing at a rate of about five possessions more per game. They're starting to crank up that tempo, but for Hawkins, he does shoot 45% from three, leads the team with five and a half assists, 13 points per game. Steve Settle, the third, has been able to give you 11 and a half points per game, and Chai Odom, he's been able to chip in there a little bit over nine points per contest. Both of these guys have versatility to where they've got size and they're able to pop threes. You've been able to get a little bit of something right around seven points, three and a half boards out of Bryce Harris, who's been able to shoot in the mid-30s for three-point range, but limited to six minutes in the last game against Morgan State. It's looking like he's going to be a little bit banged up for this game as well. I do think that Howard, they're going to be giving up some points. Their defense has been a little bit better recently, giving up 65 points a few in three of the last four games, but that came against Morgan State, where Morgan State just had a clunker. Morehouse College of the D2 level, and also Delaware State, and Delaware State objectively stinks. You do have a Howard team that they have been able to get past 80 points in now four out of their last five games. I do think the Coppin State going to be able to get back online with their offense. I do want to see a little bit more from Compensate before I'm going to be willing to take quite this much of an over. I think that they're going to be somewhere in between their recent clunkers and what we saw at the beginning of the season. So I did set my total at a 153.5. I'm going to be going under. And with Howard going to make them a 7.5 point favorite, they're dealing with a few injuries. I do think the Compensate going to be able to get back online a little bit more. So going to be taking 8 with Compensate and the total under 3 of 6641, 3 of 6642. Alabama A&M plays with Superior Prairie View is a two and a half to a three point favorite with your total on this game, 133 and a half for Prairie View. Go ahead and set them as a two point favorite. So we'll take two and a half to three with Alabama AM. With AM, they do have a good backcourt that's headlined by Garrett Hicks, who's been able to chip in their 14 and a half points, two assists. She's 48 and a half percent for three in Alabama AM. They do shoot about 38 and a half percent from three point range. It's an AM team that is about as up tempo as any other than really Southern in the SWAC as they're 39th in the country in terms of total possessions per game. Prairie View plays at a rate of about 125th in terms of possessions per game, but they might be the best defensive team out of your HBCUs. They rank 117th in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and in their last three games, they have been giving up 13 fewer points per 100 possessions than they have the remainder of the season. So they've been able to do a really good job of being able to tighten up the screws, but that said, they're going to have to match up with Messiah Thompson along with Dallin Smith. These two guys have been able to combine for about 21 points. Thompson is able to give you 3.3 assists, and they do a good job of turning defense into offense. Thompson and Smith combined for three seals per game. X gives you 1.7 per contest, so 
They do a nice job ripping the ball away, though I will say for Alabama A&M, they turn the ball over 15 times a game. Prairie View, they turn the ball over 14 times for contests themselves. For Prairie View, they're not generating as many seals this year, but you do have William Douglas, who's done a good job coming in from SMU, giving you 14.5 points per game. And for Prairie View, the big trepidation with me laying this summer, they shoot 26.5% from three. They don't have a single score that is able to give you north of 3.3 points per game that shoots above 29.5% from three-point range. That's a big, giant issue. They now have Trajan Wesley back to full due. Spent a lot of time with Louisiana and was actually a part-time starter for them last season. He could perhaps be able to give them a little bit of something, but he's only averaging right around four points per contest. Nikhil Ruti, he gives you four and a half points. Four and a half rebounds per game has not been able to ascend after Eli's here at Monmouth was able to give you seven and a half rebounds per game, though Yahuza Razzis. 10.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. Was dealing with an ailment. He's now been able to give the team 12 plus points in three out of the last four games. And it's coming off of reeling in 28 rebounds in the last three contests. I do think the Prairie View going to be able to win from within. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of a defense-oriented game. So I did set my total at a 132. I'm going to be willing to dive under Prairie View. It's been quite good to the under recently. But for Alabama and I'm going to make them a two-point underdog because Prairie View has all sorts of problems putting the ball in the basket. One take two and a half to three with Alabama. A&M and this total under 3 is 6643 Alcorn State is going to be playing as Bethune-Cookman. Bethune-Cookman between a 10 to a 10 and a half point underdog. Totals between 146 and 146 half. This Bethune-Cookman team is objectively horrible on defense. Turns points a lot on a per possession basis leaving something to be desired as they're currently 340th but it's not like Alcorn State is some sort of a defensive stalwart themselves. They're 221st in the country with this regard. Set my number at 9 so I'm going to be willing to take the points with Bethune-Cookman. Cookman does have a relatively solid backcourt that you're able to rely upon as Zion Harmon has been able to do a good job of teaming up with Marcus Garrett for a combined about 27.5 points per contest. They combine for 5.3 assists. Garrett gives you five boards and they both shoot between 35.5 and 37% from three-point range. Bethune-Cookman has not necessarily gotten a ton down low. Dylan Robertson who's only able to give you right around 8 points, 4.8 rebounds per contest and he's been all sorts of banged up. He's probably not going to be able to play in this game as well. Maybe deal with some injuries to Derek Carter Hollinger. It's very important that they do have Damani McIntyre being on his game in terms of being able to generate swipes. One of the best stealers in all of college basketball last two seasons. 2.3 steals per game over the last two seasons. Only gives you 3.5 points per game, but he chips in there 4 rebounds per contest. Really good glue guy for this Bethune-Cookman team. Meanwhile, for Alcorn State, this is one of the worst outside shooting teams in all of college basketball. 29.3%, though many of their struggles came without Keandre Montgomery, who began his career at Mississippi State. He's able to chip in there 11 points, 4 boards, so he has been very beneficial for an Alcorn State team that you do have one dominant score in Dominic Bruton, 14 points, 4.2 boards, right around his seal per contest, but outside of him, you've got Montgomery along with a trio of guys in Byron, Joshua, DeKedron, Thornton, Jeremiah Kendrell, that all give you between 8.3 and 10.4 points per contest. Kendall should be the best rebounder in this game with right around 7 boards per contest, but it's an Alcorn State team that They've been a little bit shaky themselves recently. And for Bethune-Cookman, they are a team that they've got a good backcourt. They're able to put the ball in the basket going up against an Alcorn State team that 
is not too dominant down low. That should be able to keep them lively in this game. And with Alcorn State, they sometimes do run into some difficulty when it comes to turning the ball over, as they've turned the ball over right around 13 and a half times for contest, and they only shoot 38.5% from the floor. So, circumstance where I set my line at 9, want to take the 10 that I'm seeing with Bethune Cookman. Did semi total at 145. You've got an Alcorn State team that is relatively mid tempo. They're not necessarily looking to push it down your throat as they're right around 135th in the country in terms of the possessions per game. Bethune Cookman more around 76th, but both of these teams quite inefficient themselves. So, going to be taking a look at the under, and I set my number at 9, so we'll and take double figures with Bethune Cookman, 3 of 6, 6.45, 3 of 6, 6.46. Alabama State is going to be playing us to Texas Southern. Texas Southern is a 3-point favorite, and your total on this game between 138.5 and 139, and with Texas Southern, I feel like they should be the underdog in this spot. I said Alabama State as a two-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to take them on the money line as an underdog. I just don't get why people are enamored with Texas Southern right now. They have traditionally been a relatively solid defense, as last year they were a top 75 team in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. This year, Texas Southern, 208th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. I recognize that they've been a little bit better in swag play, but at some point, you need to be able to can a few shots if you're Texas Southern, and they are currently 361st in the country in overall three-point shooting percentage and when it comes to being on a road slash neutral court they're in the bottom 10 with that regard they shoot 27% as a collective from three point range that's just completely unacceptable Davon Barnes has been able to do a solid job he chips in there right in the neighborhood of about 15 and a half points per contest he's been good for this team and then Texas Southern Whenever Jordan Carl Nicholas is out there, he's been good. 11.5 points, 8.9 rebounds per game, and it is a Texas Southern team. Building a little bit of upward momentum. They've been able to win each other last two games, and they did have Carl Nicholas out there for 13 points, 12 rebounds in that win against Alabama A&M, but they really don't have a lot of depth to speak of. Zaytarius Mortal has come in with 10.5 points per contest. He's been able to do a solid job, and then John Walker the third. You always know what he's going to be able to deliver with right around 12.5 points, 4 rebounds per game, but other than Carl Nicholas, you don't have anyone else that really gives you north of 5 rebounds per game, and for Alabama State, you've been able to get some good production with right around 7 points, 7.5 rebounds per game out of Jordan O'Neal. He's been a little bit banged up this season, but has come back with a vengeance, 7 plus rebounds in 4 of the team's last 5 games, 9 plus points in every one of them, and then you've got the son of Coach Tony Medlock and TJ Medlock, who's been a sad sheet suffer. Three and a half assists, six boards, 11 and a half points. Doesn't shoot it well from three, but Isaiah Range does, who shoots 45.5% from the outside, 14 points per game. Big and bugaboo with Alabama State. They shoot it okay from the outside, 31.7% from three. In the swag, that's passable. They shoot it overall from the floor about 36.5%. So that has not been so great, but the team is really tightening up the screws on defense. They have allowed 66 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, so they've been able to ascend with that regard. You've got an Alabama State team that just overall for the year, they've been a relatively good cover team at 12 and 6 against the spread. Texas Southern, they are 5 and 13, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that they just have not been able to play defense in the way that a lot of people were expecting. It's not like Alabama State 
is necessarily some sort of a defensive juggernaut or anything like that. It's their 294th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, but that said, this team is allowing 17 points fewer per 100 possessions at home rather than on the road. That's directly correlated with the fact that all of their games at home have been against whack competition and with Texas Southern not putting the ball in the basket. I think that Alabama State is going to be able to get the job done in this ordeal. I did set my total at 136 because Texas Southern just simply can't shoot. I'm looking at the under. The Alabama State made them the two-point favorite, so taking them out right on the money line. 306-647, Mississippi Valley State plays us to Southern. Southern's between an 8.5 to a 9.5 point favorite. And your total on this game between 137.5 and 138. Good old battle of tortoise in there. Mississippi Valley State, bottom one earned team in terms of possessions per game. Southern a top 30 team in terms of possessions per game. I saw my total on 138.5. I think that we're a little bit too low because I do think that there's the remote chance of late game felling and on top of that, yeah, a Southern team that they're really able to bomb it from three-point range, shooting 36.5% from three-point range. You got Bryson, ATN, Brian, Whitney. They've been able to combine for in that neighborhood about 23.5 points per contest. They combine for 2.6 steals per game, and ATN shoots 40% from three-point range. This is a Southern team that they're in the top 40 in all of college basketball in terms of turnovers forced on a per-possession basis. For Southern, they're honestly one of your better defenses in this conference, 134th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. And just because you're slow doesn't mean that you play great defense for Mississippi Valley State. They're the slow team in this one, and they rank 316th in the country in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. Now, I will say this for Mississippi State. They do have a good performer in Raekwon Brown that missed the first eight or so games of the season that has really put up some big numbers. He's averaging 14 points, 8 boards, 1.5 steals per game. He really had his first clunker of the year in the team's last game against Grambling. Grambling, just a good defense in general. He went 1 of 10 from the floor, 4.3 rebounds. First time all season he was really held below 3 rebounds aside from that game against Prairie View and just the first time all year in which he didn't reach 8 points. You got scary Terry Collins to be able to help him out 14 points. Chips in there, 1.3 steals per game. But for Mississippi Valley State, they shoot as a collective 30.5% from three-point range. Now, you do have Kadar Waller has been able to shoot a little bit over 40% from three-point range. He and Tyron Mosley, they combine to be able to give you about 15 points per contest. Both of these gentlemen do shoot a little bit over 40% from three-point range. But that said, I do think that Southern is going to be able to wreak some havoc against a Mississippi Valley State team that turns the ball for 16 times per contest despite their low and slow play. We've got a Mississippi Valley State State team that even in swag play, they've had a tough time generating offense. 61 points or fewer in three out of their last five games. Meanwhile, you've got a Southern team that's looking to run it and gun it. They've gotten past 80 points in three out of their last four games. They've been surrounding some more points themselves. They've given up at least 73 in two of their last three contests. So, circumstance where I did something I told at 138 I do think that the tempo gets pumped up because I do think that Southern turns those turnovers that they force on Mississippi Valley State into layups. So, looking at Southern, we'll have a layup to 10 with them. And I'm going to be taking a look this total over three or six six forty nine three or six six fifty. Got Arkansas Pine Bluff playing us the Grambling. Grambling is a three to three and a half point favorite with your total between one thirty four and one thirty four and a half. I said Grambling is a two and a half point favorite. We'll take the three plus here with Arkansas Pine Bluff for Grambling. The big thing with them is that Katare Gordon is currently out of the fold, averaging twelve and a half points, seven and a half rebounds per game. That is a big loss. He's 
perhaps the best big man in the SWAC. So that is really something that you do want to be taking note of. Now the backcourt, that is good to go for the scrambling team as Denarius Coward, coupled with Cam Christian, maybe they will combine for 25.5 points per contest. You've got Coward chipping in their 3.5 assists, shoots 36.5% from 3-point range with 1.7 steals per game, but as I say, you don't necessarily have a lot of depth with this backcourt. Rashawn Cotton, who comes in from LIU, 2.5 assists, 7 points per contest, and now they've got Jonathan Aku, who's really been stepping up down low with the injury to Corden as he began his career at Texas A&M along with Stone Cold Steven F. Austin. Really was a non-factor beginning the season, but that's it. You take a look at what he did in the team's previous game against Mississippi Valley State, 13.6 rebounds. I feel like that might be a little bit of a coming out party for him, but against Arkansas Pine Bluff, it's going to be tough because we've got a guy by the name of Sean Doss that does a little bit of everything for this team. She's about 32% from three-point range as a 6'5 combo player, 16.5 points, 5 boards, 2.2 assists per game, and then pass that. Kyra Milton, Chris Green, they've been able to combine for 23.5 points, a little bit over 8 boards. Milton, 4.5 assists. They give you a combined 2.8 seals per game. And Doss, 1.6 seals per contest. And you've got Green shooting 35.5% from 3. Having your top 3 scores generate 4.5 seals per game, that's beneficial. It's may play it. Down has been able to give you 6 rebounds per game. And then you're even able to get 5 points, 4 rebounds out of Bram Harris. He's a 6 for 6 a little bit of a combo guard that doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but against Bethune-Cookman last week, he had a nice 20-point game. That's a Arkansas Pine Bluff team that they had a little bit of a rough go of it towards like December into early January, but this team is on a five-game burner run. They have allowed 66 points or fewer in four out of their last five games, 55 points or fewer in three out of their last four, and for Grambling, defense has still been there for them as well. They've allowed 72 points or fewer in all but one of their SWAC games thus far this season. I do think that things are going to be a little little bit more buttoned up in this game. I'm seeing the total go to 135, 135 and a half. I absolutely love it because I said my total at 134 and a half. Would rather have the 135 to 135 and a half under rather than the 134 over. So looking at the under in this spot, said Grambling is a two and a half point favorite, but we're going to be one take three plus here with Pine Bluff with the injuries that we've got to Grambling, most notably the one to Gordon. And we wrap things up with 306, 651, 306, 652. Jackson State plays us to do Alabama AM. Alabama AM, an 11 and a half point underdog. Totals between 130 and 130 and a half. So Jackson State is a 14-point favorite. I'm going to be one of late. You've got a Florida A&M team that's legitimately in the bottom five in all of college basketball. They're outside the top 225 in terms of possessions per game, yet they turn the ball over 16.8 times for contest. They only shoot it at 30 and a half percent from three-part range. Now, the seen all transfer to Megan Stevens. He missed much of the season. has only played in 10 games, but he has come back and he has been able to give the team double figures in three of his last five games. Problem is, limited to 14 minutes in the last game against Alcorn State. Looks like he might be a little bit banged up, and that is doomsday for Florida A&M because you do have a guy that's able to give you right around 11 points per game in Jordan Tillman, but now he has to do it all. You've only got one guy in this roster that gives you north of four rebounds per game, and that would be Jalen Bates, 9.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per contest. He was able to give the team 14 points, 11 rebounds as they battled against Alcorn State, but they're held to 47 points in that game, and you just take a look at this Florida A&M team. 60 points or fewer in each other last four games, and for Florida A&M against D1 competition, so that throws out the phony baloney games that they've had against non-D1 teams. They have not exceeded 68 points all season long. I mean, it's just really, really sad for them. Meanwhile, you've got a Jackson State team that they've been a little bit random on defense, but here in Slack play, they've given up 66 points or fewer in all but one of their games. So they've been able to do a relatively solid job on that front. It is a Jackson State team that they're looking to play a little bit more with their hair on fire. You've got Mo Williams, yes. Same Mo Williams that 
played in the NBA, getting this team to be able to generate a little bit of a spark as currently in terms of total possessions per game, they rank 42nd and they have not really slowed things down here in SWAC play in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It's a Texas State team that still rank right around 284th, but they're allowing 17.2 points fewer per one possessions when they are at home rather than on the road and for Florida and 341st in the country in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Jackson State doesn't necessarily have that one headline scorer, but you've got Trace Young, Cat Evans Jr., along with Colty Young that have been able to combine for about 33.5 points per contest. They, as a collective, have been able to chip in there about 14 rebounds per game. Evans chips in there a little bit over a CO per contest, and they all shoot between 30.5 and 34.5% from three-point range. And it's a Jackson State team that they themselves turn the ball over 16.5 times per game, but there's nobody on the flip side that's really able to generate steals for Jackson State. They had to mix and match towards the beginning part of the season with Gabe Watson being out of the fold, but it seems like they've been able to find that nice blend, and Jamarcus Jones has been able to do a relatively solid job down low for the team. Double figures in far of the last five games. Looks like he did get a little bit banged up in that game against Texas Southern, though. I'm expecting him to be out of the fold once again, but even with him out, you've got a nice glue guy in Chase Adams that gets guys the ball. Six points, three assists, began his career at Portland, went down to the non-D1 level, and has been able to give this team a lot of pop recently. At least six assists in each of the team's last four games. Does need to cut down on the turnovers. I think this game against Florida A&M going to be beneficial for that. I think that you get a little bit more of a low-scoring slog in this game. But keep in mind, Jackson State in the top 50 in terms of possessions per game. And it's a Florida A&M team that they are one of the worst defenses in all of college basketball. Set my toe at 132. Looking at the 130 and a half over. And set Jackson State as a 14-point favorite. So I won't delay it. And that'll wrap things up. For the Monday edition of Coast Coast Soups, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Big thanks to Eli Becker over at EJXCBB for joining me in the last segment. If you do like what you're hearing from the side podcast, Coast Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you'll have one of two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at unit underscore D1. Keep in mind, letter CM, Amy does not matter. So as per usual, please just send these into the timeline. The other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire on whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And you coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.